We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to week 15 of Solo Ship. I'm Squirrel Patrol, joined by Jam DeWin from One Week Season. Uh, we're recording the show a day early because I'm heading to Miami tomorrow for the FanDuel football final. Um, but, you know, of course, uh, the regular caveats for an early show that don't have like Friday injury reports, don't even know who's practicing or not practicing on, on Friday. Um, so, you know, so stuff could change by, by Sunday. We've got like two, two actual slates of NFL stuff, uh, even before Sunday. Um, Jam, last week I, I had a big strategy of going really late in the early games. Um, and then, I, you know, I was in a late swap, depending on how anything I had from the early games did. Um, I spent a whole bunch of time focusing on my FanDuel lineups because they had the, the FanDuel uh, fan championship. Had a bunch of tickets for that. Uh, and I really just ran out of time on my DraftKings lineups. Like I ended up like uploading, you know, with, with 30 seconds left, a bunch of like <laughs> stuff I hadn't really thought out that well. Um, I did not do well in the band championship. And one of the like six single entry teams I put together in the last like 15 seconds um, had Lamar Jackson and everything else from the early window. So no late swap possibilities, no chance to swap on to Joshua Dobbs in the Raiders game. Um, and that took down the the end zone, like the $50 single entry <laughs> and it took down a king of the desert seat. Um, so I had a few weeks in a row there where I said, like, I felt like I was so right about everything on the slate and just lost money um, and had the reverse experience last weekend. How was your uh, week 14? Yeah, not as good as yours. It's funny. We both uh, have had this stretch where we were really nailing everything and just the rosters weren't coming together. Uh, last week was just like a mediocre week for me. But I actually really want two things that I really liked about last week was uh, I went 40% Amari Cooper and he was like two to 3% owned. And I don't even know how much 49ers defense I had because any place where I had the salary for them, I had a bunch of Texans defense, any place where I had the salary is all in DraftKings, obviously, but any place I had the salary, I swapped to 49ers defense and they were like 4% owned. Uh, so anytime where I can have an opportunity where just like everyone was on Elijah Moore, because they thought Amari wasn't playing. And we know that people like when they get a thought in their head, they kind of stick to it. I mean, if I remember correctly, Elijah Moore was still 10 to 12% owned and Amari was like two to 3% owned. Uh, so people just don't pivot 
like late in the week often enough. So when you have those opportunities, you know, Amari didn't hit, but he he had 14 targets. The 49ers defense didn't hit, but just like those opportunities where you, you see that, hey, this play is as good as the other plays or better than the other plays, but nobody's going to be on them be, just because of the way that later news works in the psychology of DFS players. So uh, I had fun with that aspect of things of being like, oh, I've got huge exposure to these guys who, um, you know, are, are potentially game changing you know, plays on this slate uh, had 60, 60% DJ more, but hundred percent Zach Moss. So like that kind of bounced off to where, like, I wasn't going to win many tournaments with hundred percent Zach Moss to begin with. And um, so, yeah, it wasn't my week. Uh, Debo was my highest owned 49ers piece. So again, gave myself those shots. It just didn't, uh, didn't come together, but we move forward to, you said you were kind of your thoughts on you've written up Saturday slate content. We've got the Sunday slate. I'm only halfway through my DFS interpretations and usually Thursday nights where I really solidify my player pool. So um, yeah, probably a lot up in the air for both of us, but the Sunday slate is really interesting with regards to what you were just talking about, like the late swap type stuff. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I I might've even said it last week, but I'll, if I didn't, I'll say it this week that it's funny how like football starts in September and it's all football and like there's baseball going on, but it, you know, end of season baseball is like kind of not, as appealing with like the September call-ups or whatever. And football is just football. It's still massive in terms of content and contests. And it just like overshadows, you know, especially like late season baseball. Um, and then basketball kind of pops up a month into, into football or a month or so into football season. And basketball is a very different DFS sport based on like, like late breaking news and like late swap and stuff like that. And then football over the course of the winter, like turns into basketball kind of. Because you have to, you have that late breaking injury news, right? Like, and that's like, I think of that as like a basketball thing, but like in football in, in December, it starts to become like, yeah, we really don't know if this guy's going to play or not until like we get him out there testing his hamstring and warmups or on the EC field or whatever. Um, and then it just does seem like the, the past two weeks, we've got, got this late swap um, or like late slate, you know, late swap possibilities situation where the, the games in the 4 p.m. window um, really just overshadow. 1 p.m. window. Um, I was looking the 1 p.m. window this week. Um, so it's even more so than last week. The 1 yeah. p.m. window this week has one game with a total over 40. Um, all three of the games in the 4 p.m. window have totals of like 48 and a half or more. So like, that's a massive eight-point difference um, between seven games and, and the three late games. Um, only one team in the morning or in the 1 p.m. slate uh, with an implied point total of 23 or more, that's actually Miami. What could be like a, a bad weather game could see that total even go down further if like the weather pans out to be you know even worse than we expect. Um, and I think like every every team except for like Arizona, <laughs> you know, has a higher implied point total in the in the 4 p.m. window. Um, any like any initial thoughts on the the breakdown? Of this? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the the most interesting things to me about this is we've gotten used to talking about game totals in the context of 2023 where defenses are kind of winning the the cat and mouse game between offenses and defenses and scoring is down. And so we talk about like, Oh, well, you know, there's higher totals here, but it's like, these would still be kind of modest totals or even ignore them totals in the past. But this is one of these situations where like 38 and below uh, is so dramatically low as far as like when I wrote up the angles email yesterday. So some of these lines might've moved a little bit, but as of yesterday, it was like six games of 38 and below. And these are games that in the past you might have, one or two or zero of those on a weekend. And we would like laugh off those games and not even consider them. And 48 and above are games that even in the past where you had all the games at 44 and 43 and 45, like 
48 and above is where we would really, everybody would be piling on to them. In the past, we would be looking at the 45 point games and saying, oh, but this is only three game, three points off, four points off of these ones. And maybe this one shoots out, right? Asymmetric bets and barbell distribution of how these points could play out. Um, but it's like, it's hard for a 38 point total game to outperform a 48 point total game, um, even with like barbell distribution in these. And when you look through the games, it's not even like, like, okay, let's take off the totals. You look through the games, like which of these could develop into shootouts, pretty low probability on, on most of them. And even like, like Tampa green Bay, you can paint the picture of it getting up to 50, 52, 55 points, but it's like, you can't paint the picture of it going for 60 plus and you can on some of these other ones. So yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. And I think that two things, I think that the field still has a tendency in like 10 game slates to think, like, like, like there's attractive players in the early window, right? There's Bijan Robinson or Ezekiel Elliott with the whole backfield to himself or uh, Chris Alave or whoever else people might go to in the early window. But the there's this tendency to like pull from all these different games, right? And the piggyback off that is I've illustrated in the past, it's not infrequent on two game slates or three game slates, right? Where you only have two or three games to choose from to see 200 point scores on DraftKings. So in other words, you could take a 10 game slate pull just the two or three best games from them and build only around those ones and score 200 plus points. So uh, I think it's very like tremendously viable this week to be like all my rosters are placeholders. You know, it's like I'll take one or two pieces from the early games and then just build around the late games and kind of overstack them and hope you get those 230, 240 point outcomes that, that probably won't be possible from the early games. Yeah. It's, it's the NBA thing, right? Like where there's going to be late breaking news in like the seventh or eight PM games. Yeah, there's one 7 p.m. game. It's got a super low total. It's like, well, I'm just going to skip that game. Um, and I'm going to have like an entirely like blank slate of, of rosters to deal with when I get this like starting lineup for the 7.30 game. It's just strange to see that in an entire slate of weekend, like Sunday football. <laughs> um, I, I could see that maybe in like a Thanksgiving slate, right? Like, oh, we got a 36-point total in the, the morning game. And uh, it's probably maybe you, you know, play a little bit of this wide receiver. But for the most part, you're, you're you know, just waiting to, to the night games or something like that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's strange that the games like break down so much like this. I, I remember reading on one week season on the, you know, I think in years past, right. About, um, oh yeah, we've got this one game that's got like a 37 point total. And it's the example that you don't really need to consider every game when there's seven of them, <laughs> you know, they're all in the, the first seven games of the slate. Um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, we should probably go through it. I, I will say, the first thing that I thought of when I was thinking about my rosters this week was Tyreek Hill being out. Um, yeah, just because like it was happening on Monday night. Um, he got hurt. He was like the massively owned piece um, from the Monday slate. And then, yeah, I was thinking, oh, like Jalen Waddle now is, is potentially in a smash spot. Um, and then I realized they're playing the Jets, <laughs> you know, that um, like Sauce Gardner, I guess, you know, is could be covering Waddle. Um, and the game could have high winds and possibly rain. Um, but then I thought, well, like Miami does, you know, I, I, I love my Dolphins, right? Um, they you know, generally put up points. Is like, is Raheem Mostert, uh, Devin Chan, is that a place we could go, even though it's against the Jets defense? Uh, any thoughts on the, the Dolphins? Yeah, I mean, the, I think that there's the categories of like, there, I separate things in my mind into like my tighter pool and my, my MME pool. And that doesn't mean that there's no overlap, but that just means early in the week, I'm able to put them into buckets. And so most are waddle. They're kind of in my MME pool in that, like I can paint the picture of them hitting for a big game. So that, that doesn't mean that they couldn't end up on a single entry or three max roster, but just in terms of like how I see them is they're not in the bucket of 
yeah, we can clearly paint the picture, but they're in the bucket of it can happen and you want to be aware that it can happen. And then those types of players, if they end up on a single entry or three max roster, those are like my single entry three max. A lot of times I want to have it primarily filled up with like higher confidence bets. Right. And I don't want four five, six low confidence bets because then if one of them hits, you're like, well, I still need all the other low confidence bets to hit. So that would be almost like you pull that in as the seventh or eighth piece is how I would treat those guys. So when I say MME pool, what I really more mean is like, these are my low confidence plays, but they still have ceiling. And um, so, yeah, I could see pulling one of those in into um, into a, a build like that. Another guy, too, I, when I was writing up my DFS interpretations for this game, I thought of him was DJ Moore, where you, if you're looking for like who could post a had-to-have a type of score, and one of the things about the Browns' defense is what makes them good is that they're super aggressive, right? And aggressive defenses sometimes give up big plays, and they've given they've had a history throughout the season of giving up some big plays, right? So um, typically with the Browns defense, you'd have to like get correct that they give up a big play. And then you'd have to get correct who hits that big play. But since the whole bears passing attack is centered around DJ Moore, it's like, well, if anybody hits a big play, it's going to be him. So that's another one of those spots where you could be like, um, you know, who, who could hit a big play on the bears only DJ Moore. And so if a big play develops from this passing attack, it's going to be him. Um, yeah. I think there's a few spots like that. And then there's kind of the spots in the early window of like, you know, just concentrated offenses and guys who can hit even, I mean, even in a low total game, you're going to get 55 to 65 combined skill position player points from an offense, right? So it's like um, somebody like Chris Olave or Rashid Shahid could hit. Somebody like DeAndre Hopkins or Derrick Henry could hit. I actually even think if we're talking about these this early window, uh, Nico Collins and Noah Brown, because everyone's going to move off of them with CJ Stroud out. But it's like the way that this offense is designed to get the ball to get guys wide open and get them the ball in space. Like this is a different offense than we saw Davis Mills in, in the past to where if he can just get the ball to Noah Brown or Nico Collins, Bobby Sloak's still going to have this drawn up to where these guys are open with room to run against this, this bad Tennessee secondary. So I think that there's some interesting pieces like that that we can play around with, but nothing's going to be like, Oh, I'm building around this thesis in these early games. You know, it's gonna be like one or two, maybe three pieces and then kind of build the rest around the late games. That's interesting. So the DJ Moore thing is interesting. Um, I, cause I was thinking, like, I it didn't really look at anything in that game, except I had in the back of my head, you know, like, like Justin Fields and like rushing quarterbacks are guys that can put up points in games that aren't necessarily high scoring. Um, that used to be like kind of the running backs, right? Oh, like it's, this is going to be like a mud game or something. So the running back is going to get like 30 carries. So it could put up, you know, 150 yards and two touchdowns and the team could score 14 points. Right. And the game total of the game at, at its conclusion is, you know, 27 points or something like that. Um, and you know, so it's a, it's a low scoring game. We can have a DFS score. It's really, really good to have. Um, but yeah, that's actually an interesting point that like, and like DJ Moore has become like the wide receiver, you know, the, the only wide receiver, right. That we're really interested in from the bears. Um, so that's, that's an interesting pairing. Um, and, and probably one that I'll, I'll keep in mind. Um, I was actually thinking like looking at, at this play, I was thinking like B. John Robinson, you mentioned, um, but like the Carolina Deep rushing defense is a little bit confusing to me. Um, it looked like it's been getting better, but it hasn't. It's just been allowing touchdowns instead of yards. <laughs> um, and so like, I was thinking of like B. John Robinson is maybe a, a running back play that people wouldn't consider. He's a little bit pricey, though. Uh, any thoughts on the Atlanta-Carolina game at large? Yeah, I mean, the you know, the – one of the things we talked about recently is the Panthers are actually really good against pass catching running backs. Right. So I don't know, like going farther back in their schedule, but the last two weeks it's been Kamara and Rashad white and and those guys don't pick up a lot of yards on the ground. And so it's like, 
it kind of can make them look a little bit better. Uh, I mean, they're 32nd in DVOA against the run. They've faced the seventh most rush attempts and given up the fourth most yards and the most running back touchdowns. And then the Panthers are not the Panthers, the Falcons, their pass rate over expectation is, is 32nd in the NFL, but it's at negative 9.6%. So 9.6% below expected pass play rate is where they are. And the next closest team is negative 4.8%. So they're double like the number 31 team. Uh, so I just see this as a spot where, again, Bijan Robinson is probably not getting like 25 touches because they'll just mix in Tyler Algier, but it's just a good a good spot for him. But it's still like, oh, what are the chances that he buries you for not playing? What are the chances that he puts up 35 and you're like, oh God, I didn't play Bijan Robinson? Like probably not that high, right? So I don't think that he's, I think that he could be over-owned relative to his actual expectations. I think there's still downside there. Um, and, you know, there's still edge then. And like, if we say he could put up a really strong score, but probably not bury you. It's almost worth it to be underweight him and get that information first, right? Because then if he puts up his lower end score, then you're like, okay, now I'm ahead of the field. If he puts up his higher end score, it still doesn't bury you. And you're like, okay, so who can catch him in the late game? So yeah, I mean, I, I mean, even with that, even with Derrick Henry, even with Bajon Robinson, I don't think that anything in the early games is like leaping off the screen to me because we still have Kyron Williams and Christian McCaffrey and even Tony Pollard and James Cook in in the late games. So yeah, there's there's a lot of flexibility there to avoid those guys. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on that, but also uh, any thoughts on Ezekiel Elliott, who I hadn't really thought about till my DFS lab show this morning. Uh, Keegan brought him up this morning. So I think he's he's looking like he's going to be a popular play. I think it's a price thing. Um, I, yeah, I'm not really sure about it. Um, so. Was it on DK? He's five hundred dollars cheaper than James Cook. I, I feel like I'd want to find the money and get up to James Cook. Um, on FanDuel, Ezekiel Elliott's only five hundred dollars cheaper than Tony Pollard. Um, <laughs> like I think I'd rather try to like do anything I can to play, to get the five hundred dollars. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, it's a play that I I don't love. I but it's actually interesting both sides of that game. The running backs are going to be interesting. Um, last week we talked about cause the news broke right as we started recording the show last week that Pacheco was out. Um, and, you know, I, I think, I think I was a little bit higher on Clyde Edwards, Alaire. I think you were a little bit higher on McKinnon. I don't think we have any further clarity even after watching the game. Um, like I think McKinnon got the touchdown. Um, I think uh, Clyde Edwards, Alaire had more touches and like, had like surprisingly high receiving work. Um, I don't know. I, I might, I'm, I'm more inclined to leave this game alone. Um, but again, I haven't like gotten down to the point of like really pricing things out. So I think this might game might be like a price thing more, you know, where like Ezekiel Elliott has an appealing price or like Rashid Rice has an appealing price than really a game I want to get to. Um, but it really depends on, on the value. And I guess, I guess similar to last week, I think the Kansas city running back, like if Pacheco's in or out, um, could have a big impact on the slate, not just for this game, but just in terms of like how much value we have. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that was interesting to me about Zeke, because I hadn't thought of him either. And it had been like, uh, I looked at the game total. I looked at the game and I'd been like, okay, no interest in, in players from this game. Right. And then Keegan brought him up. And the, the concept of the DFS lab show is that like, I've been doing this for 10 years and I've run OWS. Right. And Keegan's been playing, he's like a casual player. So he's kind of like a proxy for the audience. And it's kind of partly it's a roster building show. But it's kind of like a coaching session too. And the audience gets to like, learn from the casual player standpoint of what they're thinking and what they could be doing differently. So the fact that he brought him up, right. And then I hadn't thought about him. One of the things I was thinking was he's probably going to be popular this week, but 
among the field as opposed to among the people who were really competing against for first place. And that was what I said on the show was like, I feel like Zeke could have like somewhat popular ownership, but like the sharpest DFS players are probably not going to be rostering because they're going to be like, oh, well, this game total is bad. This situation is bad. Like I, Ramondre Stevenson was one of my highest owned players the week he got hurt a couple weeks ago. And it was because as soon as Bailey Zappi came into the game, they just started throwing screen passes all game. Right. And, uh, and then last week, Zeke comes out as the lead back and sees what was it? Seven targets that he saw uh, nine targets, seven catches. Right. So I do think that there's this angle of like, he, he feels so not sharp on paper that that almost gives you an edge because he could have high ownership, but like the people who were really competing against the first place won't have him. And so if he hits you, you know, you're taking this dumb play on paper that actually isn't that bad if he gets the, the six, seven, eight, nine targets in this one. So uh, yeah, I don't know. He's, he's become a more intriguing piece for me than I would have expected for sure. Yeah. I just clicked on his like player profile. I didn't expect 27 points. I didn't realize 27 points last game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah. Uh, no concept, literally. Yeah, I think it's it must. I, I think it's going to be a DraftKings play, um, and I do have like my mind a little bit more focused on Fanduel this week, just because I'm going there for the live final. Everybody else is going to Scottsdale for the DraftKings final. Um, but yeah, I, I guess those receptions add up. Like I, I've talked about it, like if you think about each reception, they you know gets like stuffed at the goal line, right? Um, or stuffed at the the line of scrimmage. It's a ten yard run, and yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like yeah, he's putting up, putting up like seventy extra rushing yards with seven receptions. Um, I think it's going to end up being a pricing thing though. And like he is too cheap on DraftKings. and it was, yeah. I mean, if he gets eight receptions, that's like 80 extra yards. Um, so I could see him being appealing, especially on like, on a site with, like DraftKings with tighter pricing. Yeah. I actually, yeah. I let, I let the Texans thing go that you mentioned earlier. Um, <laughs> it's, it's actually, I'm thinking about it. Cause it's an interesting test of how good is CJ Stroud. Um, versus how much, how good is the coaching? Um, and it'll be interesting to see. I think Nico Collins is not practicing. Uh, Tank Dell, is, of course, is out for the season. That, that makes Noah Brown a little bit interesting. If Davis Mills can get him the ball, and if it's maybe more of an offense thing than a CJ Stroud thing, the Texans having the success they've had so far this year. Um, I think Noah Brown is dinged up as well, though. So I, I don't know who's left a wide receiver after Noah Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Woods, who's not going to post like a, a monster game, you know, like he could, he could post a serviceable game, but um, no, I mean, and I think that certainly CJ Stroud has proven to be excellent, but he's also in an excellent situation, right? Where like Brock Purdy's really good and he elevates the 49ers offense, but like Garoppolo also was able to produce big numbers for those pass catchers in that offense, not at as high of a rate as Brock Purdy, but um, so like, is Davis Mills worse than Garoppolo? Probably yes, but like he's still, you know, you could see him just getting the ball to these guys in space and one of these guys hitting. And I'm just basically saying like, where are the spots? Because also the late games, right? Bills and Cowboys, these guys are high priced and it very easily could play like a 27-24 game. That's what the basic Bills game has been outside of the game against Philadelphia. Basic Cowboys game has been against, you know, in terms of like their opponent scoring. So those guys are expensive. That game might not really take off. The Cardinals don't really draw much interest from us against the 49ers. Uh, and then Washington, like they could probably score 30 points against the Rams and might only produce one decent DFS score. Right. So it's like these late games, it's not like we're just able to easily stack them. So I am kind of thinking through like, okay, who are the one-offs from the early games that have tournament winning upside? Um, and some of them are just in, yeah, some interesting spots 
uh, actually kind of a cool discussion we're having today because it's probably it's less player specific than we would get on a Friday, but it's kind of like interesting to dive into the slate because it's a very unique slate and some of the ways we'll want to put things together is, is you know, that's really what's going to be key this week as opposed to the individual players. Yeah, actually, I, you know, so getting, I guess we should like move on and talk about some of the, the 4 p.m. games because um, I think that's what everybody's going to be focused on. Um, you kind of like very quickly said one of the things that I thought of, like the Dallas Buffalo game, I think has the highest total in the week or the closest spread of the late games. I think the late games all have similar uh, game total, but the Buffalo Dallas one is the one that's got a pretty close spread. And I think people are envisioning it as a, as a shootout. I could see Josh Allen being extremely popular um, with 10 rushing touchdowns and 21 passing touchdowns in his last 11 games. Um, and then uh, CeeDee Lamb on the other side. I think we're going to see a lot of Josh Allen, CeeDee Lamb rosters that just put in whatever else, you know, they can put in around that. Um, and then I was looking, I'm like, these teams are both top six in preventing the other team from scoring, right? Like the two top six NFL defenses in terms of opponent scoring, um, this might be a little bit of a, of a letdown spot. I, 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 you know, just looking at like some of the initial stats, right. It's two teams where it's easier to rush against than pass against, even though both offenses probably interested in passing the ball. Um, and you know, like, could this be a game where people are taking, you know, Josh Allen, just like sticking in Stephon Diggs um, and then, you know, and then have CD lamb and really what we want is Tony Pollard and, and James Cook. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I would, I would not be surprised if one of these teams tops 30, but I would expect both teams to finish below 30 total points, honestly. Right. And so the, that's my expectation in this spot. I would be, I would be shocked if both teams topped 30, I would be shocked if it turned into like a true shootout. And one of the things about the bills is like, Josh Allen is Josh. Like Josh Allen is the best player on the field when he's on the field, but he doesn't have that much around him, to be honest. You know what I mean? Like Stefan Diggs is, is still great, but he's not like a game changing wide receiver at this point in his career. Gabe Davis is like an excellent number three, but like kind of a mediocre number two. Um, like Josh Allen kind of has to be able to take over games. And we saw it last week with Kansas city where, and again, any of these games, there's also like a way things play out in the last five minutes. That's totally different. Like, okay, Kansas City gets that touchdown. And then Josh Allen gets the ball back with a minute left and he might be able to come down and score. And all of a sudden, like everything looks very different in that game, right? Those last few minutes of the game can really change things. But yeah, I would expect this this game to be kind of more closer to the Kansas City-Buffalo game than maybe what people are expecting. And I think that the the chances of the Rams not putting up 30 points are pretty low. The chances of the 49ers not putting up 30 points are pretty low. And it's like, there's both those teams are probably producing two different players scoring 25 plus DraftKings points, you know? So it's like, um, almost like, how do you fit in four players from those two teams and then mix and match things from there? Yeah. Um, the Rams, like Kyron Williams is a guy I auto drafted in like my best ball. I did like 60 DraftKings best ball teams because I had, uh, these tickets from like playing baseball contests or whatever. Um, and I had Kyron Williams auto drafted as my last guy in the round, like in the last round of, of almost every team. It's worked out like fantastically. Yeah. Um, I like I thought he was just like Cam Akers backup. Um, and now he's 9,600 on FanDuel, and I'm sad I can't get him like pricing wise. Um, yeah, it, I mean, the commander's defense, I, I that's actually one of my best calls. I think I said early in the season, I think the commander's defense is just going to get worse and worse throughout the year. Thought like Ron Rivera is probably a lame duck coach. 
um, just because the, the new ownership took over the team right before the season started. Probably wanted to like wants to put in their own guys, just didn't have the time, um, you know, before the season started. And then they went out and they created like Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Uh, and then it's like, oh yeah, this, is, this team's gonna fold, <laughs> you know, like faster than a tent. Um, and now they're they're facing the Rams, who've like been doing a little bit better of late. Um, I don't know. Uh, so I think this game's gonna be popular, and I think it's my you know, tough thing with this game is figuring out like how many pieces can I fit and which pieces do I want. Um, it feels to me a little bit like a Puka game more than a Cooper Cup game. Like I and, and I don't even know why. Because I think see like Puka getting like longer receptions. It's not necessarily a game where the Rams are gonna have so much difficulty that they need to pile up receptions with Cooper Cup. They'll just be able to get touchdowns with Puka. But I don't even know statistically if that makes sense. No, I mean, I don't I don't have anything in this game that points me toward any individual player. So I'm I'm of no help there. But what I will say is like I try to think of things in terms of total points available from the offense. And generally that's going to be 55 to 75 points on DraftKings with this Rams offense, uh, generally going to be like 65 to 80 points available, generally speaking. And there's always those outlier games where like a team combines for 110 DraftKings points, right? The Ravens have had a couple of those this year. Uh, the Texans had one of those against the Bucks. So I think that there's that thing where you could be like, if they're scoring 75 to 80 points, but the offense is primarily these three guys, Kyron and Cup and Puka, like probably two of them are combining for 60 plus. And you can kind of like mix and match the, the two player combinations across rosters. Uh, and then there's that outside chance that they go for 95 skill position player points or 110 skill position player points. And then it's like, you can throw Stafford on there and three of these guys and just get all the points. So uh, similar, similar thing to the 49ers, like there's going to be two players who combine for 60 plus points. The question is, is that because one of them scores 38 or 43, you know, and then somebody else scores 15 to 17 and you just need one guy, or is it cause like two different guys scored in the 30 point range. So uh, yeah, both of these offenses, I think it's, it's, it's key that even though you're guessing, like we always say on, on like these thin slates, right? You have to guess on which 49ers piece is going to hit, but you also know that whoever hits is probably going to be on tournament winning rosters that week. So it's like, you have to be play that guessing game. Otherwise you're boxing yourself out of having the player who does hit. And that's kind of how I see both of these offenses this week. Yeah. Um, I, so I think it's going to be interesting to see ownership and like projections uh, between like Cooper Cup and like Debo Samuel, I think, and Puka, because um, they're all on both sides, they're all priced right around each other. Um, with the 49ers, I made the decision like maybe two or three weeks ago that I thought what was going to happen is like basically Christian McCaffrey is going to, you know, obviously get a bunch of touchdowns. But he's like too expensive. So, like, even if he gets like two touchdowns, he's maybe not a, a piece you need to have on your rosters. Um, so, if he's getting the touchdowns, Maybe, you know, the other 49ers pieces aren't as, as appealing. If one is, maybe it's like George Kittle because he like fits that tight end position, right? So if he gets a touchdown and a bunch of catches, then that's like breaking the tight end position more than like a wide receiver is breaking the, the wide receiver position. Um, and then Debo Samuel has gone out and gotten like four rushing touchdowns in his last five games, three receiving touchdowns in his last two on top of that. <laughs> um, and yeah, he's been the guy that's, that's been breaking slates. So, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because I think the Rams guys may project a little bit higher. Like Debo Samuels, it's got the, um, you know, their kind of recency bias or, or, you know, just excellent recent production. It might not be bias. <laughs> it might just be really good. Um, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see how people break down their rosters in terms of those three guys. Um, 
yeah, it's probably gonna end up being George Kittle. <laughs> I know, but against this Arizona team that like they're not great against tight ends, but they're so bad against wide receivers that tight ends don't see a lot of targets against them. And I was I was literally thinking that earlier in the show. I was like, you know what? I, the, this is the type of week where I'm gonna be like, okay, I'll go like. 30% CMC and 40% Ayuk and 40% Debo and like 10% Kittle. And then Kittle's going to be the one who like three catches for 120 yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> You're like, come on. They, but uh, yeah, but one of these guys probably hits, you know, last, I think the last time that I went like 0% CMC was the last time they played Arizona. And I was like, you know, he's so expensive and he's only topping 25 points every once in a while because he really needs all the time. And then he goes out and puts up 51 points. So it's almost like, you can't even overthink this, this offense. You just have to be like, let me just fire shots into it because somebody from this offense is going to hit. And I mean, that's proven. So it's just who hits and do you get enough of them is, is almost how it ends up breaking down. Yeah. I forgot about that last, uh, <laughs> <The> last, <laughs> that, that last Arizona game. I was like very comfortable in my thinking like, ah, McCaffrey's just too expensive. Oh man. Like if you put up like 45 FanDuel points, yeah. 50 something DraftKings points. Um, yeah. It doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, just trying to fill in the rest of your roster around that. Um, so yeah, I guess, uh, any, any hot takes for the week? Uh, I don't really have any, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say, I'll say that Jaden Reed, uh, is a must have piece. That's a hot take. So that's not like, I'm going out there and rostering him as such, but I will have some Jaden Reed. I think he's, I mean, I really like him as a player. He's another one of these pieces from the early window that you're like, oh, this guy could actually end up being a uh, had to have a type of piece at his price tag. So I'll throw that uh, that out as a hot take. Yeah, that's that's actually interesting. We actually didn't really talk about like the Green Bay, Tampa Bay game. Um, and that probably is the most appealing game, at least like from my first look of the 1 p.m. games. Um, like Jordan Love was like a little bit of a disappointment, I think on Monday. Um, but you know, like he's looked much better of late. And he's the guy that I kind of thought would have a better year than I thought people were expecting. He's like former first round pick, you know, finally getting the chance. Like, I mean, there's gotta be some talent there. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see that, that Packers matchup against, uh, Tampa Bay. I'll just close it out with my, um, my hot take, but it's like a retread from last week. I'll just one up it or double down and say the three, 4 p.m. games have more touchdowns um, than the seven 1 p.m. games. I think you might be right about it about that this yeah. time. I think you might yeah, be right. Yeah, it's more extreme even than last week. So we'll, we'll see if that one hits. Um, any final thoughts on the week? No, good luck this weekend. Uh, go go take down some some big money. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Hopefully it works out. I got four out of the 80 entries. Um, everybody's on a cruise right now. So I'm hoping they're all getting too much sun and, <laughs> and free alcohol or whatever, open bar. Um, and I'm sitting here in Virginia. Weather, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Thank you. All right, that'll do it for uh, Solo Ship Week 15. Uh, good luck to everybody. We'll see you guys next week.